What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. And as always, a whopping great thank you to everyone who supports this podcast and keeps it on the road. Uh, and we have a new patron this week. We have a new patron. We have Gloria Thomas, who I believe, Mr. D, is on the nonfiction strand in the Academy as well. Is that correct? She, absolutely. Yeah. One of our new fantastic. nonfiction academies. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. We had a great session yesterday with Kate and and Gloria was telling us a bit about uh, what she's working on, which is really fascinating. Lots to share in future episodes. Exciting stuff. So if you want to be one of the cool kids like Gloria and support the podcast and keep it going from now into, it's, uh, into the far distant future, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. You can find out more there. Or to find out more about the Academy, go to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Mr. D, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing all right. <laughs> it's, it's a busy, busy old month. <laughs> I mean, I, I walked into the studio. We'll be talking about this a bit later on, but I walked into the studio this morning to record this episode and the heating hadn't come on. And I'll tell you oh, what, in Canada, you, do, you don't <laughs> want to be walking into a studio to start your working day in, uh, in the chilliness of the Canadian winter. But, um, but we will be talking about uh, winter writing, I think we could probably yes. call it as a segment later yes. on. So watch your space. And how are you, sir? Now, I think we should actually say, because like, there are some people that, that maybe don't listen to every single minute of every single podcast. What? I know there are. I know, I know, I know. Bring them no, before me now. No. <laughs> Although I'm discovering there are many people, there are many people out there who have listened to every single minute of every single podcast over the last seven years, which still completely blows. It hurts my brain to even think about, to be honest. <laughs> but for anyone who missed last week's episode, um, and for anyone who maybe didn't get to the end of last week's episode, we had a big announcement um, that that Mr. Stay is is going to be moving, moving on from the podcast and with all the busyness. So in case you didn't hear, that is actually happening. But Mark, we announced it on Monday this week, didn't we? And how is how, from your perspective, what was it like? Because it was, you know, it was a massive piece of news. Obviously, we've been doing this for, together for so many years. How did it? What did it feel like to actually sit there and go and wait was, for the um, news to break? It was. It was like being a ghost at my own funeral. <laughs> because you've got lots of people saying nice things and some confused elderly relatives on Facebook going, what's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> really? It's, I love that. No, oh. it's, been, it's been great. Everyone's been just so, I've only been called a traitor once. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like, you know, you know, on Bob Dylan, uh, when he was, he was doing a tour in Britain and he was known for his folk music and he plugged in an electric guitar and someone in the crowd shouted, Judas. Yeah, I, I had that moment. Um, but oh, no, it's, it's been lovely. People have been absolutely lovely. It's been uh, really, really sweet hearing from people, but they've also been very understanding as well. They've been just saying, 
saying, you know, and what's lovely, what's really, really cool is they're really excited to see what's going to happen in 2024 with the podcast, what you've got lined up, the nonfiction <laughs> stuff, all of that stuff. So it's been, yeah. it's been good. It's been, it's, it's been positive in every single way. So um, yeah. yeah, it has been, it has been fun. I've got to say, I mean, you'll have, you'll have to wait folks until our final episode together is the two marks, which is going to be next week on Christmas day. Mm. But uh, without going into too much, too much detail, what, one thing I do want to say is I've been absolutely um, overwhelmed with just seeing the sheer love out there, you know, for everything that's been happening on the podcast, the, the sadness, you know, of, of the fact that you're moving on, which I feel as well, Mark. I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm here with everyone else going, oh my God. But the, but the thing is, is that it's, it's kind of nice to have this moment just to kind of recognize what this podcast has, has been and, and how it's affected people's yeah, lives and because like, we were kind of talking beforehand weren't we and that we we've been we've been showing up you know every single week pretty much um you know for seven years and doing a podcast it's not like you know playing a concert in front of an audience it's not like going to a book signing or going doing a you know doing comic-con or something where you meet people we're just here chatting away and yeah. we know that there's a lot of people listen to this podcast but we don't really have a full as the people that do it we don't really know it's a weird medium, isn't it? And that you, it is. you get mean, a few you, emails and you do like, you know, you email, you get social media contact, but you don't have an idea of what the full scale of it is. No, I mean, we can look at the the download figures uh, and you think, well, actually, this is like um, giving a yeah. talk at, you know, the Royal Festival Hall or something. It, it, every week, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, but where are they packing all? Out, <laughs> packing out Wembley, Wembley Stadium, whatever. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? But so, so having had this um opportunity to kind of say right you know it's the end it is the end of an era it's the end of the two mark era but it's also great great to have that opportunity just to kind of feel that reaction from people and realize that wow this actually has really meant a lot to so many yeah, people yeah. and and that's that's amazing so we want to thank everyone who's who's um you know reached out and sent goodwill messages i've got a few just a couple uh, to share on the Christmas Day episode. So, folks, this will be a really special episode, and it and it's perfect. It's going to be on Christmas Day. Um, we're going to be doing the last episode together as two marks, and then on Christmas uh, New Year's Day, I'm going to be starting the podcast. <laughs> you know, the the new <laughs> version. I don't even know what to call it, Mark. I think I think that episode's going to be me going right. So uh, what should we do then, folks? <laughs> on this blank page. I don't believe that for a do you, second. Do you not think? Do you no. not think I'm going to riff it all You've always got a plan. You've no, always got a plan. Dear. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But um, it will be it will be interesting, um, you know, to, but we want we want you well, to I'll all be, join I'll us. I'll be listening. I'll be one of those people. Because oh, no. I, I, <laughs> listeners, I generally have no clue what he's going to be doing. I really don't. It's, Nor do I, know. Mark. Nor do I. <laughs> <laughs> oh... It's going to be jazz podcast, right? Improv. Nice. Mind you, when you think when you think about like a lot of the episodes that we've done, obviously there've been the, the interviews, which have been very much the you know the the heartbeat of, of the the show, which we kind of built the show around. But um, I think part of the joy of what we've done is it has been a bit of a kind of jazz, a jazz session between me and you. We just kind of like. Been making out as we go along. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry to sorry to, to spoil the surprise, folks. But yeah, a lot yes, of the time not we scripted. just not we just scripted. no, it's not scripted, and we're showing up and having you know hopefully having fun and uh, yeah, definitely fun. yeah, and uh, and learning a few things along the way with you. But um, excellent stuff. Well, listen, folks. So do do join us next week. Um, it's going to be a, a really fun episode. 
Um, I might, I might even get decked out. Mark, we usually do this on Christmas Day, don't we? You yes. Know, get the, I'll dust you off got the hat. Your, yeah, have yeah, you got yeah. a hat? Have you got like a nice got my kind jumper? Of Christ- yeah, 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 yeah. Christmas jumper. Yeah. Good. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Okay, don't worry Excellent about that, stuff, folks. Brilliant. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into this week's actually final episode. Uh, not final interview um, that Mark's done because Mark has graciously done some additional ones because we've got such a backlog of, of authors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there'll be more yes. of Mark. This is it. We've, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's not. You're leaving the podcast, but you're not kind of leaving the podcast because it's going to be this the the ghost of Mr. Stace talking to, to us. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yes. So you've got you've got all that to look forward to in the new year as well, folks. But uh, for the last time together, Mark, introduce who's this week's special guest. Well, I can't think of a better author to top off the year than the brilliant Mike Gale. Uh, Mike Gale was born and raised in Birmingham and moved to London with ambitions of becoming a music journalist, but he ended up as an agony uncle for the teenage girls magazine Bliss before becoming features editor on Just 17. And we're going to talk about that later. Mike became a full-time novelist in 1997 following the publication of his Sunday Times top 10 bestseller, My Legendary Girlfriend, which celebrates its 25th anniversary this year. And he's back, back, back with his 18th novel, A Song of Me and You, and it's a story of midlife crisis inspired by a quote from Jim Carrey. So we discuss making unlikable characters engaging, what he thought when he reread My Legendary Girlfriend after 25 years, and why we should always be entertaining. Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the absolutely wonderful Mike Gale. Mike Gale, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm good, thank you very much. It's a little bit cold in here. Um, getting so nippy, isn't it? Put my hat on, but uh, <laughs> yes, we're all right. Thank you. Good, good, good. Yeah, I've resorted to fingerless gloves just to go, because the thing being a writer is you sound your backside for a large chunk of the day, haven't you? Have, you? have you got any tips for, I mean, apart from the hat, any tips for keeping warm in the winter months? Well, it, 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 does, it can get quite difficult because uh, my, my office is south-facing, and so uh, actually during the day when the sun's out, it's, it's normally quite warm and it's, and nice. it's bright, but, you know, come winter, it's really cloudy today. Temperatures dropped. And I have been known before to kind of put on a coat, yeah. sit down at my office, because I kind of just think, well, do I really need to heat the whole house? But then you, you kind of just think, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. So put the coat on, put a scarf on, and I'll, I'll write. That's a so, classic. Yeah, keeps the mind sharp. It's a classic dad move, isn't it? I've got a big woolly That's blanket it, yes. there that I throw about. Yeah, you just fine. Just walk about. You'll be fine. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Uh, all sorts of stuff to talk about. Not least your new novel, A Song of Me and You, which is a story of midlife crisis. Uh, I don't know if there's much about staying warm in the book, but apparently it was inspired by a quote from Jim Carrey. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yeah. So I, I came along, uh, I came across a, a quote on the internet Um who knows where you get these things from? And it, it alleges to be from Jim Carrey, but again, who knows whether he actually did say it. But it says something along the lines of, um, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. And it was, it, I had a real light bulb moment with this because I just thought, oh, this is really interesting. Here you've got somebody who is a celebrity, uh, someone who is famous, who has who is, you know, been in Hollywood films and you know all the rest of it. And he's saying it's not the answer. And I think the thing is that our culture has done a really good job in actually saying that these things are suggesting to us mere mortals that it is the answer. Mm. And so I just thought, oh, isn't this interesting? 
he's saying this as a celebrity. And I bet even if you, even if he said it to everybody, people wouldn't believe him. No. And I think, you know, people would still think, yeah, you know, you're saying that, but of course, you know, fame and fortune is the answer. And so I kind of wanted to look at fame and fortune and celebrity uh, through the lens of a, a Mike Gallon novel. But at the same time, you know, a Mike Gallon novel wouldn't be a Mike Gallon novel unless it was kind of very much grounded in reality and very much grounded in the kind of the, the everyday. And so um, I look at the kind of celebrity angle through the, the lens of Ben, um, who is uh, originally from Manchester and has gone on to become um, a, a world famous uh, rock star. But I also wanted to kind of look at the ordinary, as I said. And so we get Helen, who is actually Ben's ex-girlfriend from when he was back, when he was a, uh, he was a, a mere mortal um, back when they were 18. And so Helen, in the interim, has gone on to become, uh, she's a part-time teacher. She's got um, two kids. She's uh, got a husband, or at least had one, uh, until uh, in her mid-40s, her husband leaves her. And so at the very beginning of the book, she is she's having a very, very bad day. Um, so her husband having left her, um, and they're, they're kind of, he's, he's now living with his new partner, his new girlfriend, who is um, considerably younger than, than Helen herself. And so he is taking the kids on what should have been the family holiday. And uh, so Helen is looking at a week alone in, in a house um, without her kids for the very first time when there's a knock at the door and who should be there. Um, but Ben, who she hasn't seen for the best part of 25 years. And so the question really at the heart of the story is, what is Ben doing there? Um, why is he here after all this time? And what does he want? And, and what difference will they make to each other's lives? And Helen's very much our way into the story, isn't she? It's important to have that yeah, related, is, yeah. grounded character because I guess the challenge is when you're writing about the rich and famous, is it difficult to make them sympathetic characters? Because as much as we might aspire to be rich and famous, we kind of have the tall poppy syndrome over here as well, don't we? Exactly, <laughs> yes, very much so, yeah. And, and so actually, you're absolutely spot on. You know, um, Helen is our way into the story because um, and part of the challenge that I wanted to do in, in writing that celebrity was to see, can I get readers to sympathise with this character? You know, here's somebody who has it, who from the outside, it looks like they have it all. Yeah. Can I get them to, to kind of, you know, so for me, it was a bit of a challenge to kind of go, okay, I know that you will like Helen because you can relate to her, but I really want to think at the same time, can, can I get you to sympathise unlike Ben and understand perhaps just a little bit what might be behind that quote from um, Jim Carrey. Mm, very good. Now, here's a question for you. Could you have written this novel 25 years ago? Is the Mike Gale writing now the same as the Mike Gale writing 25 years? Could you have sat down and could this have been your debut? Or or is this a result this of those is, 25 a years? really interesting question. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, what, what's interesting about it is that... Um, is it, I, the answer is I, I literally don't know, um, <laughs> and I suspect I suspect that there are things that the Mike Gale from twenty five years ago um, can do, could do, and can do, or could could do could do a lot better than me now. 
I think um, I think there are. I mean, certainly when I wrote my debut, um, I there was nobody waiting for for it, mm. and so it was a book written. It's the only book I've ever written without any expectations, um, other than you know the expectation that all I wanted to do was just to have a go at writing a book, and so there's a real. I reread it uh, during lockdown. Um, during lockdown, I did a series of um, of uh, Facebook lives, and I went back um, just to kind of keep people in, you know, keep people kind of you know going, I suppose. And so once a week. I would take one of my bat list and go through it. And so um, I started off with Manager Girlfriend, so I reread it. And one of the things, a couple of things I, I noticed about it, but one of the things I really noticed about it was just how well written it was. Yeah. And it really surprised me because you you kind of think to yourself, <laughs> oh, you know, am I am I gonna kind of cringe when I read this? Is, is it gonna am I gonna think it's awful? But actually, it's really, really, really well written. And I was surprised <laughs> by that even though I say so myself. And I think part of that was, part of that was, I think, the fact that um, I rewrote it uh, many, 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 many times in that process. I was, you know, I was, um, yeah, I, it was very much a, the, the kind of corporate of mine. Each time I rewrote it and did a new draft, it just seemed to get better and better and better. And because this was the first time I'd written a book, I, I, I was... I was just really noticing that oh actually that, that that's really good. The other thing I noticed was that there was uh, a real reliance on on kind of humour, and again that's something that kind of comes from just being a little bit, a little bit, a little bit afraid, I suppose, of how your writing is going to be received. So um, when you're not, uh, and not to say this is all all humans writing but for me I was I, I can kind of I kind of felt while reading it this is someone this is this was me sort of saying I am going to not only make you enjoy this book but also really um I, I don't know you're, you're gonna I'm gonna I'm trying to make you laugh all the time not but not not all the time I'm, I'm trying to make you I'm just very conscious of the fact that I'm trying to, I'm using humour a lot. And I'm really conscious of the fact that, um, but at the same time, he said I'm I'm kind of uh, wandering there. Uh, And at the same time, um, I was actually quite surprised by how um, it didn't, it didn't kind of pander to your expectations. Um, It was a, it was a book it was a book written very much on my own kind of terms. You know, it it, it feels in rereading it, it kind of felt like this is the book I want to write and this is the way I want to write it. And let's see if the world likes it. Now, it, it could well have been that the world hated it and didn't like it at all. But it was very much me setting out my stall. And because of that, I, I actually, I just, I, I loved everything about it. And I, I know that you, you should I know that you know you should be a little bit embarrassed but I just think no this is a really bold book written by somebody who I think really wanted to write a book and really wanted and really had something to say in their own particular way I think um but could you know could that 25 year old could that I suppose I was about 25 26 when I wrote it 
could that person then write, have written a song of me and you? I don't think so. And that's partly because I don't think that they, that that version of me um, had the life experience that I've got. And um, and the things that, that I've got, that, that, that kind of, that I suppose the kind of things that have kind of come across the last 25 years. And so um, I think he would have, I, I think, I think both versions of of me, the younger me and the older me, um, would both enjoy both books and get something from them. But I think um, certainly with the song of me and you, there's there's it's a book written from a point of view of of maturity, I suppose, mm-hmm. and um, and I suppose looking at those things um, that go on in midlife mm-hmm. um, that perhaps I couldn't have done um, as a as a younger version of myself. So, yeah. Excellent stuff. That that thing you were talking about, the humour, I, I sort of recognise that, that that temptation to chuck a gag in, just to prop it yes, up, just yes. to shore it up, yeah. you know? Yeah. If uh, I, I, I might doubt the quality of my writing, but I can tell you a cheeky gag kind of thing. That, you that, know? This is it, yes, yeah. And it, it's, you know, to, to, to be fair, um, I, I don't overdo it, but I am just, re- I am just aware that I don't, I don't, use gags in the same way that um i used to yeah, um I'm, yeah. I'm less reliant on them and i suppose yeah. over time as well um my books have have kind of shifted from a a kind of romantic comedy focus to a more general sort of um I'm trying to think how you might describe them i suppose they're they're kind of Sometimes they're about relationships, but sometimes they're about families. Sometimes they're about they're, they're more kind of contemporary dramas, I suppose, yeah. with yeah. that that can make you smile at the same time, but also yeah. make you think as well. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. And have do you feel like the the novels have grown with you? Because I think I think turning thirty, you wrote when you were roughly yeah. turning thirty. They they've sort of grown with. Have your readers grown with you as as well? They come along for the journey. It's it's been really wonderful because I, I think yes there have been people um, who have been there since the very beginning, and that's been lovely to kind of uh, see and kind of engage with because um, their kids are um, you know of now you know reaching the kind of age um, or not far off the age when I was sort of started <laughs> writing and so they're even some of them are even um, you know who would loved my legendary girlfriend are giving it to their kids and saying, you know, read that, I think you might enjoy it. And it's this lovely window uh, into, you know, what it was like back in the 19, you know, the, the ancient time called the 1990s. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, you, you know, it, it, it's, you know, again, when I was reading it, you, you kind of realise just how much the world has changed in 25 years, mm-hmm. you know. And so my legendary girlfriend almost reads like a, a historical novel uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of sense. You know, there's no internet. Uh, there's uh, none of the characters have mobile phones. Um, the guy, the, the main character, is using a landline. It, it's you know, it's something from a different period. Um, but there's something quite lovely about that as well. At the same time, because uh, there's universal, there's a universal universality there. Uh, I think that um, that even though things have changed, and you know, we've got all sorts of we're in a different times. There is. Um, there is still unrequited love. There is still just yeah. not quite men not understanding women and women not understanding men. 
Um, so there's a you know there's a real truth to it that kind of lasts uh, outside of time. Um, what was the other part of the question? The have your readers grown with you? You've you've answered. Oh it, yes, so you, I think, you, yeah, 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 that was it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah uh, so yeah. Um, and uh, but the nice thing is is that um, it feels like at every stage um, there's been a new influx of readers. So right. um, you know every now and again, you know, especially um, in the, the kind of like the last four or five years, there's been a, a, a new influx of readers and it's a real delight for the, you know, it's that wonderful thing, you know, um, when you find a new author and you, you realize that, you know, they've got a really big, quite expansive uh, backlist. And so you go from having nothing to read or thinking that you've got nothing to read <laughs> to go, right, I've, I've got not, uh, uh, 17 books and, um, a work of non-fiction to kind of work my way through and it's also um i was talking to a, a new a, a recent reader uh, recently and um you know they're, they're in this kind of wonderful position where they can from their whatever position they kind of came into my books they're able to they've gone back and read it and they've kind of seen my progression from where i started to where i am now and so mm. It's 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 something that I, I I suppose I don't get to see because I was there, but they get to see, you know, because they read the books one after the other. Yeah. They get to kind of really get a sense of the writer that I've become, which yeah. which I don't get. So that's lovely. That's fantastic. The other thing is, as I understand it, I think you've been with the same publisher for twenty five years, Hodder. Uh, yes, yes, which I is, have. Yeah, which is pretty extraordinary, actually. You know, a lot of authors can can jump about. Uh, talk about how working you know you've seen some big changes over 25 years yes, you know the, yes, the, the ebook revolution all that kind of stuff as yeah. well uh so tell us about the 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 you know working with the same publisher or over that time and how things have changed from that first book to now i mean it, it's been absolutely amazing it's, it's been a, a kind of a real journey um you know so when my literary girlfriend came out uh well when my book went um my literary girlfriend, uh, I sent, I submitted it to my agent and we worked on it for a summer. Um, and then it was, I think it must have been uh, the September or October of, no, it must have been the October of 1996 or seven, no, 1997. She sent it out to three publishers on a Friday um, by courier because you know, there was no internet. <laughs> yeah. And um <laughs> By the Monday morning, we had two deals on offer and it went to an auction. And so um, every day I would get, uh, my agent would uh, fax me uh, the various <laughs> offers that have been. And so this, I'd get this kind of fax coming through. <laughs> and, you know, um, and it was just a, a very, very strange time. And, and you know, it completely threw me because it wasn't something I was expecting. I, I was completely blown away that, this book that I thought was going to be quite niche was actually um, people were thinking, oh, this is this is this is something to get excited about. And so um, and I remember at the at the end of it, um, at the auction, it, it went to uh, Hodder. And I remember coming down to London to kind of meet my publishers for the first time and and just thinking, wow, this is I've never been part of this world Um how amazing and you know it's all very lovely um and i remember being my agent saying to me at the time she said oh um they're going to ask you what your next book's about and um, have you got any ideas <laughs> and i remember thinking to myself you know next book 
this is, you know, I remember thinking, this is everything I have to say about everything. There is no more. <laughs> and so to be still with the, with the same publishers 25 years later is amazing. And they, what I, what I like about them and, um, and what I've liked about them from the very beginning is they, they, they completely understood what it was that I was trying to do. And they completely supported me in, in that kind of endeavor. And so, you know, I feel like I've, um, I've kind of grown with them. Um, you know, they, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of share ideas with them and we'll, we'll chat. And, and my, my kind of process is, is kind of, I've had different editors within that time. Right, right. Um, I think I've probably had, let me just think, probably about four or five different editors. Right. But even, even then, you know, my most recent editor I've had for about seven or eight years now. Um, so that there is quite a lot of stability within yeah. within that. Um, just just because of, you know people move on and, and it's, mm. it's just the way it is. But you know it, it feels like I found my my kind of natural home, and um, they very kindly um, threw me a, a, a party uh, this summer to kind of celebrate twenty five years. And it was it was a really lovely moment, um, like, just to kind of um, to kind of see. Uh, you know, I suppose it, it, to kind of see something that you don't rarely that you you rarely see, which is an author getting to, um, you know, when, in a world where so many authors only get the, the uh, you know um, a two book deal to kind of yeah. prove themselves, and mm-hmm. then you know it, it either works or it doesn't, and um, to kind of still be with the same publisher and to have kind of grown and tried various different things along the way is. Is a is a is a, is a very rare thing, as you said, and um, you know I was really chuffed to be part of that. So yeah, fantastic. Well, look, let's go back to where it all started, which, as I understand it, as a child, you read Just William, but then created your own version <laughs> called Just Mike. Tell us about that. <laughs> this is true. So uh, I was a huge fan of libraries, and I, uh, so I would turn up um, at my local library every single week. And I'd take out my four books and I would read those four books uh, during the week. And then I would be back there on Saturday morning and, um, and get some more. And the first time I, I genuinely thought, right, I want to be part of this world was when I uh, read the Just Winning books. And I, I fell in love. I just thought they were amazing. And even though, um, you know, William was this uh, kind of um, boy from the kind of you know, the 40s, 50s and um I was this kind of boy from Birmingham in the in the 1970s. I just I really connected with him, and of course it's that kind of again it's that kind of universality of of just you know of schoolboys and getting up to tricks and stuff like that. And so I very clearly remember thinking to myself, I'm going to write my own my own book, and I, I called it Just Michael. Um, and I got my dad's t- typewriter out and I started typing. And I, I think I managed about two sentences before I gave up and uh, started working on the cover. Because, you know, I was only eight at the time. Um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty much where it all began. Brilliant. Brilliant. Speaking of libraries, I was in Birmingham last month and I got to go oh, to right. the new Central Library for the first time. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It is just yes, stunning. Yes, no. Oh, I it's, it's, it. it's, it's wonderful. And, and I do think that libraries are vital to, um, to writing. You know, if you're, 
I think uh, it, it's it's really interesting because it you 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 talk to readers and um I think readers get it into their heads that um can get or can get it into their heads that books are for only a certain type of people or I only like this type of book or I only like that type mm. of book and I feel like the the thing that libraries do is they say look right, you can come here get your tickets right and have a punt on anything and so you haven't got to commit you haven't you know all you're doing is committing your time you have a go and because of that, because of the nature of libraries, I think it's it's wonderful that you can kind of go, right, I'll just have a punt. You know, I've never read a sci-fi book, so I'll, I'll have a go on that. I've never read a detective book, so I'll have a go on that. And so it takes, you know, I, I really think that this, the real secret to kind of creating readers is to say, look, you don't have to have, you don't have to love everything. Just have a go, see what I guarantee, you know, see what's out there, because I guarantee you, there is something out there for you. And um, and so, yeah, you know, libraries like the Central Library are, are vital, I think, to creating not only new readers and the, the next generation of readers, but also the next generation of, of writers also. Fantastic. Good stuff. Talking about uh, being a writer, uh, you came out of Salford University and you uh, you became Agony Uncle for the girls' magazine okay. Bliss. You did the Dear Mike column. Now... Being the father of you know a a, a girl, uh, teenage girls—that's a tough audience, man. What did you, what did you take away from that? <laughs> um, it was it was such a such a crazy time. So I was essentially uh, I'd gone to university wanting to be. Um, I had a vague notion of being. I wanted to be a social worker, and I did a degree in um, in sociology. But while I was at university, I started writing for the university magazine mainly writing features about music and doing interviews with bands and things like that. And I also started writing um, for, uh, I started my own fanzine as well and um, was interviewing lots of different bands that were playing in and around Manchester. And by the time I graduated, I knew that I definitely wanted to be a journalist. So I, um, I came back to, I started writing for Ulysses magazine in Manchester. Then I wrote for one back in Birmingham. And then I got the opportunity to get onto a postgraduate diploma in in journalism um, down in London, and so um, and it was there that I took a bit of a pivot because um, while everybody on my course kind of wanted to write for the Guardian, Telegraph, or the um, the Sunday Times, I, I I had it kind of I wanted to go back to um, the writing that um, really made me laugh and that really made me enjoy writing and that was the kind of writing of kind of smash hits and yeah. the kind of t-mags of that era and so i uh, started writing for um uh so i did lots of work experience i ended up working for uh, a magazine publishers that produced um amongst other things um take that official magazine <laughs> and um from there i went to uh bliss um and i was writing articles there when i became Magnanimical, and it, it it was great. It was what it showed me. Writing for teens is the most difficult. They're the most mm-hmm. difficult audience you'll ever get. Absolutely. Um, and you know, they, they, there's no tolerance for you know, um, it's a two thousand word article, but I, I promise you, it'll be worth it in the end. Uh, if you weren't engaging with them in the first paragraph, they would 
not only just turn over the page, but they would also get their marker pens and draw <laughs> all over your face. Um, you know, they, they were quite vindictive. And so you, you learned very quickly to, to always be entertaining. That was your, your kind of mission. That was the, the kind of, the kind of mantra. And I suppose that, that was the thing that I took into, especially my legendary girlfriend. That's partly where all the joke kind of came from. It was always like, you know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, just be entertaining. You're doing it, mm. you know? Um, and yeah, so, so that was at the forefront of the mind. Just, and I suppose when, um, when agents, uh, or certainly when my agent was looking at it, that was the thing that kind of spoke to her was the fact that this was, um, this is somebody who's got a unique voice and was somebody who was, you know, you know, writing a book that was essentially about, um, uh, a weekend of a, a you know a 25 year old man living in a, in a bedsit uh, and a weekend in his life um, which doesn't sound very exciting on paper and yet somehow it's it is entertaining and that all of that kind of training kind of came from yeah. my time writing for teenage for, for, for teenagers fantastic now as i understand it your routine has changed because when you were your writing routine because when you started out you're very much uh, a pantser and now you're yes, very much yeah. a plotter. So what prompted yeah. that change? And did it come through evolution or was there one event that, that, that prompted it? Oh, there was a single event and it was very, very painful. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I, it was, it happened, uh, it must have been about 10 years in. So I, it, it's strange, like, like, like I say, when I wrote my as your girlfriend, nobody was waiting for it. Mm. And, and so I could spend as long as I, I wanted to kind of get it to um, the point at which I thought it was ready to kind of go out to the world. Whereas um, the minute I, I signed a contract um, and wrote, and I, I, I was, I, I, I then became a, a full-time published author. And so um, I remember sitting down to write Mr. Commitment, um, my second novel. And thinking this is a completely different experience this is um you know there's a deadline um there's an amazon listing for it yeah. um you, you know uh this is a very strange thing you know it's it's got to be in on time yeah, yeah. and but i was still doing this kind of you know having an idea and kind of just you know making it up as i, as I kind of went along and that served me for quite a while but then about 10 years in I wrote I think it was uh, must have been about 10 years in might have been uh, wait, 12 13 years in anyway I can't remember but um I wrote Turning 40 which is my the first time that I'd done a sequel right essentially and so um I found it so I, I started writing the sequel and I started writing in the same way that I, I, I'd normally was I'd written all my other previous books and it was like pulling teeth it was just so so difficult and it, it was like I remember saying to me you know it, it was like you know square pegs and round holes but I was just so deper determined to get this square peg into the round hole that I was just there every day just hammering and hammering and hammering and hammering and hammering eventually I got every single peg into that round hole um <laughs> And the minute I did, I did it and I, I got it and got it finished. Um, I realized that fundamentally there was, there was something fundamentally wrong with this book. It was just the wrong story. Right. And 
it, I had a real light bulb moment when I kind of realized that actually, had I planned this book out, I would have realized what was wrong with it instead of just going, you know, I suppose the, the, the issue with being a pantser is that, you know, if you take a wrong turn, you can, you know, you can just keep taking wrong turns and get right, so yeah. far yeah. off the map that you, you know, you're completely, you, you have no idea where you are anymore. And so from that moment forwards, um, I became a planner. And so I then planned out the plot to um, Turning 40. And so it's the same title, um, but a completely different story with the same characters. And it was a complete, you know, it was a, a pleasure to write. It, right. you know, it was a real, and it was a, it was a real kind of moment for me to kind of go, right, okay. I think I'm a planner from now on. And so now, not only do I know the beginning and middle and end of the entire story, but I know the beginning, middle and end of, of every chapter before I write a single word. Right. And the upside of that is that, um, the upside of that is that when I when I begin, I, um, I'm very much aware that in the old way, it used to take a little bit of time to kind of find out who 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 are my characters, what do they want, where are they going? Because you know, essentially you didn't know. Mm. Um, but now because I've I've planned that I know what kind of things they're going to encounter, and I know I know I, I I suppose planning means that I can I know who the characters are before I've written anything. And so it's much easier to kind of get started um and kind of know um have a, a better idea of who your characters are before you, you know, you've even started um, typing. And when you're, when you're outlining like that, how are you doing that? Yeah. Is that on cards or are you using some software or just chucking it into word? Um, I am just uh, millions and millions of pieces of paper. So <laughs> I, I, I've got uh, just a piece of A4 paper and I'll, um, I'll just sketch things down. I'll, I'll think to myself, I'll try and get um, an overview of, okay, I know where the story, where I wanted to begin. And I kind of, I, I think about, okay, well, where might it go? And I'll do various different scenarios. And the, the lovely thing about this is that, you know, at the end of the day, it's just pieces of paper. Mm. So if, if, my, if I think my planning is going off, off piste in any way, shape, or form. I can just dump it and I can start again. It's that I think that thing of committing words to your your laptop or your 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 computer or whatever um, kind of commits you to a certain way. Yeah. And and I think I think it can be a little bit dangerous. So I think with with planning, it just means that I'll I'll just go okay maybe this will happen in this chapter, maybe this will happen in this chapter. This is where I want to get to um, by the middle of the book. This is where I want to be um, by the end of the book. And I'm just trying various different scenarios on sheets of paper and, and drawing things out. And it's literally just like, it might be um, they start in this situation, the character starts in this situation at the beginning of the chapter. And by the end of the chapter, I want them to be, be in nice. this situation, yeah. and um, and we're just kind of linking those up. Um, but like I say, you know, it's just pieces of paper, and it's really freeing 
because you it means that you it, you're you allow yourself to kind of think out of the box a little bit um because like i say you know at the very at the very worst if i don't like what i've done during a day's work you know it's just a couple of hours yeah whereas um like i say when you when it's words on paper you know my brain is so much committed it's so is always thinking about the word count and anything that kind of you know if you put 2000 words up there um you know you will do anything to kind of keep those 2000 words in. <laughs> um, um and so you know you, you, it, it, but when it comes down to pieces of paper it's just like uh, it's just a piece of paper i you know i can fix that or i can tweak that and the other thing is but the other thing that I really like about planning is it means that you can see, you can see the shape of your novel, and you can see um, things that maybe you can make a connection between. So you might see, you might have a scene in act in your kind of first act or you know one of the early chapters, um, and you might have a, a, a scene in mind or a, a chapter in mind in one of your later or kind of concluding chapters. But because you can actually see them you can kind of think to yourself oh i can make a connection between that and yeah. that because they're two very similar sorts of mm-hmm. um uh, of thing you know they're, they're, they're kind of linked thematically or they're two very similar situations and i couldn't do that when i was actually a pantser because um you know you don't really know you don't know what's up ahead so you can't really make any connections yeah. until I suppose until you get to a second or third draft and then maybe you can start doing those things, but you can start doing, making those connections much earlier when you're, when you, when you're a planner. Yeah. That's fascinating. The little scraps of paper that just feels impermanent, but once it's on the screen, there's a permanence to it. That's the kind of, yes, I I get that. I get that. I get that. We're, um, we're having a bit of a nonfiction kick on the podcast at the moment. And I want to talk briefly about uh, the to-do list, which I think was 2009. And the shout line for that is one one man, two birthdays and a 52 week (laughs) attempt to tackle a, a 1,277 item to do list. This was on your 36th birthday, I think. So, uh, Tell us, tell us about that and where that came from, and, and if you do that kind of thing again. Pardon it, it came from um, it came from two places. I suppose it came from a desire. I, I think I'd reached the point where um, I really wanted a challenge, and I'd never written uh, a nonfiction book, and I was really, really intrigued by the idea of um, accessing this this kind of different part of my brain and and doing that kind of writing but at the same time i wanted it to be to kind of feel like a mike gale novel and so um i'm um i'm the main character but i'm also your your kind of your your kind of every man working his way mm-hmm. through this kind of this kind of mammoth list and the reason i chose it was just because um i'm very much a you know uh, i'm very much a to-do list person you know every monday morning I will write a brand new to-do list um, and I will take my old list and I will take the things that I haven't ticked off it, put it onto my Carry my, yeah, my yeah. new list and then add all the other things. And um, and the, the, it struck me one day that, you know, I was supposed to be, uh, I felt like I, I should have been an adult. I mean, I've got some new next door neighbours who um, seem to be very good at adulting. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, look, right, maybe there's maybe the secret of adulting is, is just getting things done. 
mm. and just you know rather than just thinking about them and so I thought well what if I did what if I just wrote down every last single thing that was on my to-do list everyone all of them <laughs> and then systematically just try to work my way through them maybe this would be the the answer to um being a, a proper adult and uh, and so that's what I did I spent a year working on it I spent a year working through this list and it was a really lovely experience um in part it was lovely because uh um I was working through this list and making an actual difference to my real my life in, in the real world mm. um but it was also lovely to be doing a, a different sort of writing and um and to also be kind of throwing in a little bit of my um my own life in there so that you know the it um, so part of you know one of the things that kind of happens during the story, which is which is actually true. Um, one of my uh, <laughs> I I discover that um, during the process of doing my to do list that um, somebody uh, has a a film company uh, has released a film that has ripped off one of my books. <gasps> um, um, <laughs> And uh, I can't really say too much about it. I'm being, it sounds like I'm being vague, but uh, it, it's not um, It's not a UK or a US company. Um, but I, I, it was a very, very strange kind of experience. And so um, I'm trying to deal with that while um, I've also kind of tried to do this insane to-do list. So it, it was really good fun. And it was a really, and I think, I think, you know, what's, I think one of the things you have to do as a writer is to constantly be challenging yourself to kind of mm-hmm. keep yourself interested, you know. And um, I was talking to someone recently um, about about that because on the one hand, you're 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 tempted to kind of go, let's just get the job done, and that's your kind of like your your work a day. Look, get it done, and do it to the best of your ability. And then there's part of you. I suppose the kind of the, um, the kind of more creative side of you kind of just go, look, I know I can do this, but can I do this? And and so you you know you're always looking for just like a little slight challenge, a little. And um, some of that kind of came to a head with um, my uh, going back a couple of books. Uh, so all the lonely people, hmm. um, which uh, came out probably about three or four years ago now. Um, when I wrote that, I, I, so normally what I do is I'll do an outline before I, 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 you know, as well as doing my, once I've done my mapping out of things, I will then do um, an outline for the entire novel, um, essentially like an extended synopsis, um, but I'll break it down chapter by chapter. And then I'll send that to my editor and agents and that gives them an opportunity to kind of see the story um, that I'm working on, but they can also kind of pitch in uh, if they've got any kind of thoughts or observations. Mm. And um, so I did this process and uh, I sent it to them and they both wrote back straight away and they said, oh, absolutely lovely. This is amazing. This is going to make an amazing book. But they both agreed that um, um, the book, so the, in the outline that I sent, there were some um, sort of flashbacks that were of a um, 
that essentially meant meant I was going to have to be doing setting parts of the book in the kind of early fifties and six, and then later in the sixties and the seventies, and. I kind of knew at the time that I was coming up with this outline. I knew that this was out of my comfort zone. And so what I did very sneakily is I tried to minimise those kind of flashbacks to the absolute minimum I could thought I could get away with. Right. And as soon as I sent this uh, into my editor and agent, they, they came, both came back to me and said, we love this book. And you know what? We really love these historical bits. It needs more of them. And it was just like one of those moments where you go, oh, I know it's, you're absolutely right. And I knew it when I did it, but Cause this I was is, a this, bit scared. This was the book that's, that's sort of based on your parents' experience, isn't it? That, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So was there some um, fear of sort of digging deeper into that? No, I, I think it was just because everything that I'd written up until this moment, up until that moment, had been contemporary. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd never written anything kind of. Um, you know, so this was was going to require research. This was going to require, um, I suppose, a different set of skills. I I, I assumed, um, and and so they were absolutely right. Okay, so I re- rewrote it um, and put in what I knew to be the, the kind of I was alternating with the, the kind of flashbacks and between the kind of front story and this backstory that kind of and the two meet up and. What happened when I actually started to write it, I, I, I made a decision that I was only going to, um, I've, I've always written um, linear, in a linear fashion. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't jump about. Um, and I was really tempted to kind of think, okay, how about you do the front story first and then we'll do the more difficult historical story later and then hope that the two right. kind of marry up. And I thought to myself, no, that's another kind of uh, form of um, that. That's you messing about again. No, <laughs> we're going to go right. One chapter is going to be front story. One chapter is going to the next chapter is going to be historical. So I had to get in there very quickly. And what what I really learned from that experience was that I loved doing historical stuff. I really enjoyed it. And right. and so you, it, it, it's that it's that thing you. There's lots of things that you think you can't do until actually you sit down and do them. And um, and it was a really lovely reminder quite quite late on in my career that actually you you as a as an author, you can put yourself in a box and think that that's all you can do. And it's nice to kind of be reminded that actually, do you know what? Actually, if you if you get out of that box and you're not afraid and you're a bit bold and you have a go you could do all manner of things. So it was, it was a really a nice thing to kind of learn at a really kind of key part of my career, I think. That's fantastic. And especially after 20 odd years, just keep learning and keep on top of things. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to keep it fresh. You've got to, you've got to do, you've got to keep pushing yourself. And um, it's so easy to kind of, like I said, it's so easy to kind of do the things that you know you can do. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean about changing genre or, 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 you know, it, it can just be about simple as perhaps changing points of view, perhaps, um, you know, um, you know, changing tenses, you know, mm-hmm. you, you just, you just do the things that you're, you're comfortable with. And so, so, so sometimes, you know, it's good to kind of go get out of that comfort zone, 
and just see what else happens when you do something a little bit different. Yes, I know, I know exactly. I'm writing something at the moment, which is first person present tense, which I haven't yeah. done for a long time. And it's kind of terrifying, but now I'm in, I'm loving it. Absolutely loving yes, it. Yes, yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So what's uh, what's the next big challenge? What's coming up in the next 25 years, Mike? What, what can we look forward to? <laughs> well, okay, 25 years from now. I have <laughs> um, no idea. Um, so at the minute, I am, I'm working on a new book, uh, hopefully, that will hopefully be ready and out um, summer 2024, um, very close to the end of it. Um, I can't really tell you what it what it's uh, about, um, only because um, I think I've learned the hard way that um, <laughs> you know if I if I tell you the idea for this book and your response isn't is is anything less than <laughs> Mike, that's amazing. Yeah. This is this is going to change literature yeah. forever. Um, I am going to be hugely, hugely disappointed. And so it's probably easy for all of us and, and your yeah. listeners to, uh, for me to just go, yes, there, there is a new book. I am working on one. And um, that's hopefully the good news. Uh, you'll, that's the you'll good love news. it. Yeah, yes, fantastic. It, yeah. Brilliant. Well, Mike, thank you so much for speaking to us today. That's it's inspiring stuff. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to the new book, which is going to change literature and humanity and steer <laughs> us all into a brighter future. But until then, folks, we got a thank song you. of me and you and a whole bunch of other books. So, Mike, thanks so much for speaking to us. Hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Oh, what a lovely guy. I, I do, great. I do, I do like a lovely guest. We do get lots and yeah. lots of them, and they, I mean, Mike Top is just that. really, really amazing. One thing that fascinated me, though, that I, again, don't think I've heard ever on this podcast before. He he read his early work and was surprised at how good it was. <laughs> I mean, how often do you hear that? Yeah, yeah. Well, this this is very much on my mind at the moment because next year marks ten years of Robot Overlords. Uh, and the novel coming out at least. And, um, well, actually, no, the film, oh, hang on, I, get, I always get this wrong. The film came out at the end of 2014 at the London Film Festival. So actually, you know, anyway, sometime in the next year, Robot Overlords will be 10, year, 10 years old. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm thinking of looking back at that and having a look at it, and I'm wondering what I'm going to read, you know, because that was my debut. And uh, so, yeah, it's... Um, uh, I've got plays and stuff uh, that I don't look at because I know they're going to be terrible. But but, um, but in some ways, though, if you did, because <laughs> the thing is, I think there's a benefit to that in some ways, because if you do look back, in theory, which Mike obviously is a reversal, but in theory, you should be able to go, wow, look how much my writing's improved and it can be quite inspiring. It's like looking back at an old journal, an old journal from 10 years ago and saying, oh, wow, I was thinking that was, that was my biggest issue when I was that age. And now that I'm not even bothered about that stuff. Yeah, anymore. yeah. And, yeah but yeah. the thing I love about Mike's attitude is I think he went and he looked at his book and he was looking for all the things he loved about it. And I think what most of us do as writers is we look back at our work and we pick out all the things that yeah. we think cringe at and go, oh, instead, because there, there is always going to be good stuff. But if we overwhelmingly look at the stuff that kind of holds us, like makes us think, oh, we, I was really bad back then, then it kind of in some ways muddies the whole book yeah it's kind of an unhealthy default that we have isn't it that yeah. we we're, we're because we're trained we've trained ourselves to 
editorialize, to look at writing over what's wrong with this? How can I fix it? Um, yeah. Even when you're confronted with a book that you has been edited and copy edited and proofread and, and in Mike's case, you know, a smash hit debut, you know, we, there's a part of us thinking, well, this isn't right. I've got to make it better. I've got to improve it somehow. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, it's something I'm very conscious of if I, give feedback to anyone if i edit something you know when we when we have the the surgeries and the one page one power punch-ups and stuff like that in in uh, in the craft coaching on the academy i'm always going to look for the good stuff so i can give people something to steer towards because it's one thing to say well that doesn't work that doesn't work that doesn't work you've got you also got to say but this is good do more of this i'd like to see more of this please it gives them something to 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 cling on to in Mm. amongst all and that's not just the kind of the the prey sandwich you know that's not just me being nice you've got to find the good stuff because those will be your strengths. Those will be the things that that. And what's interesting with Mike is, you know, we, he's his writing has evolved. He's someone who's constantly challenging himself. Someone going to talk about more in the extended version, but uh, you know, it's it's he's not the guy. I said to him, could you've written, you know, his new book twenty five years ago. Obviously, he's not the guy. He same guy he was twenty five years ago. He's changed and evolved as has anyone else. And uh, I think that's something we we've got to, as you said, you know, when you look back at your journal, there are things that seem like the end of the world to you then, but now it's like oh, I don't even couldn't even remember that. You know, if I hadn't written well, it down. yeah. Why did yeah. I even worry about it? Mm. I think it's also fascinating as well because you talk about the editorial process, and it is very much about you know, it's like the red pen. It's like right, you need to fix this. You need to get rid of this stuff you know, in our case, get rid of the first chapter. And it, and it's, and, and you, you've talked about this many times about the kind of, uh, you know, dread of, of getting those notes back. I know some people have said, you know, I've got my notes back, but I've not looked at them yet. It's almost like you mentally have to prepare yourself and, I mean, I, and they put it off. I love them. I love getting notes because yeah. as far as I'm concerned, notes are, it's an opportunity to make it better. Uh, and my notes now, I, you know, I come from, you know, trusted beta readers uh, and professional editors. So I know what I'm going to get is the good stuff as well. You know? I think it gets easier, doesn't it, in some ways? Because well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you know, easier in the sense that, like, you you built the calluses up and yeah, you've also yeah, yeah. established a working relationship with, mm. you know, editors. But also, interestingly, you say beta readers as well, because I think, you know, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people don't even even close to getting a beta reader, getting your first beta readers is usually a bit of a learning curve, which is why we've got a whole course about beta readers on the Academy, about how to actually set them up, like tell them what feedback you're looking for. But you've learned that relationship with them over time. So it's an easier process in some ways. It's still difficult to kind of like deal with you know, changes. I mean, but- you want to talk about evolving as a writer. When we started the podcast, the, the whole idea of a beta reader to me was like, ugh. It was completely new, wasn't it? Just give it to some random Yahoo. What what do you accept? No, I'm going to give it to a professional editor. But actually, it's such a part of my process now. It's it's completely essential. And I like being a beta reader for because there's there's like you know I've got two and we you know you show me yours I'll show you mine kind of thing. This mutual thing going on and and I always learn something from reading their stuff. I'm thinking oh that's really good. I love how they've done that or you know this could be stronger. But and you you always learn something from it. You learn I think you learn more from beta reading someone else's book than you do from just reading a book. Mm. just you know just for the fun of reading yeah you're you're concentrating on a much more forensic level you're thinking of it lighter writer and you're thinking oh i would do that differently if that were me and 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 that you grow as much by helping someone else as them helping you so yeah yeah, 
good thing to do. And if you're looking for beta readers, actually, like it is, we've discovered, you know, part of the reason why we set it up in the academy to make it easy for academy members to be each other's beta readers is it's hard to go out there and find someone, not just like a friend or family member that will tell you it's great or awful, like depending on how brutal they are. Like Joe Grumby's mum. Well, exactly, (laughs) right? So, So it's so important to have somebody that kind of, understands a bit about the writing process because you know you're going to get much deeper levels of feedback and 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 somebody empathizes with what you're going through and might be a bit kinder on you as well because they're they're in the process of probably having their book beta read as well so Mm -hmm. it's very interesting now one of the things as well that i think we both connected with as well with mike is that he used he was using humor a lot um to kind of help his book along and I think this is quite a common thing that comes up, especially with people writing for the first or kind of writing in their early books. Yes. Well, just in my life, using humor as a defense mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah like true. me, like me. I'm funny. I'm funny. I mean, you right? know, it's, but it's true, it's, though, isn't it? I yeah, think- it is. It is. I mean, I was, I wouldn't call myself the class clown, but I, I was, there was a definite arms race at school to be the funniest person. Yeah, and there was a there was there was a handful of us who were always trying to outdo each other with gags, and um, it's nice because when we catch up now, we're still sort of doing it. And it's still—I was going to say—that it, yeah. groups <laughs> it still goes on today. Like when I pop back to England and go out for a, you know, go out for a, a meal with with that group of guys, it's it's just like you walk in there and it's like you've gone back. Like well, I tell 30, you what, I, I went years. to this was gosh, this was ten years ago. My, my friend Tim, it was his wedding, and it was all mates from school, and we all reverted to being. 17 again and like my wife claire knew them all she went to school with all these boys Mm -hmm. and knew and knew how we behaved but all the other wives and partners they were like what has happened to my husband why have they turned into a teenager (laughs) making all these knob gags and it was like that's what we were like we've just reverted back to it immediately and it was it was very very telling um but yeah it was uh yeah sorry back to the original point that kind of humor as a defense mechanism but also just in the writing as well the i mean i started out writing sketches with friends after school and uh i've always liked funny authors like robert rankin and terry pratchett douglas adams but of course what you discover it's not the gags. It's not the one-liners where the humour comes from. The humour comes from character, yeah. and you know the the natural the humorous tone of a character and the tone of the writing as well. So it's not about gag, 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 gag. Get a joke in there. It's not like you're doing a you know stand-up routine like Bob Monkhouse or whatever. You it's it's about character and and finding the humour in the character, and that is always. Uh, the most satisfying stuff and whatever book you're writing i think even if it's the most traumatic literary fiction you've got to have a few laughs in there you know well, it's just human uh, nature totally i mean i think of you know linwood barclay's novels often start off with someone getting it yeah <laughs> and yet yeah. i always find his writing he, he just has a funny way of like writing and it and it it it, it, it makes you kind of like smile inwardly when you read something and think oh that that's amusing and it doesn't have to be like a setup and a gag i mean we in back to reality you, you could read that and some people might say oh it's a it's a you know it's a humorous novel like it's a comedy novel but we didn't intend it to be like we didn't say oh we want to write something that's going to make people laugh out loud but a lot of the reviews people say oh i, I was sitting on a train and i was really embarrassed because i started laughing and i couldn't stop and, and but it's it wasn't gags that we did. It was it was just situational 
yeah, humour in many ways, putting the character in funny situations. It's also tone and voice. I mean, you and I, similar age, similar background, similar sense of humour. That tone and voice is always going to come through. And uh, I think the same with Linwood. Linwood, you know, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Just a, a very funny guy, great raconteur, tells a great, just a great natural storyteller. And um, that is part of developing your voice as a writer as well. Um, and, you know, not realizing that you need to be a joke machine, but just you need to relax and be yourself and let let that come through in your writing as well absolutely yeah because people took me years to figure that out (laughs) well it's the weird you're right though because we we sit down in the chair and we think i am now a writer writer. and we we leave we leave all the other stuff (laughs) that we've been working on all our life you know the chats down the pubs the funny the funny jokes with your partner you know messing around with the kids whatever it might be like the you know messing around with your mates from school 20 years ago you know still carrying on and we leave all that out the door because we have to be a I'm an important writer, writer now. Yes. And, and it has Stand to be back, a, it, everyone. It, yeah, <laughs> literally, we really kind of put... And, it, and, and I think you're right. I think one of the greatest discoveries in life is when you realise you just need to be yourself. I mean, I know many times people have said on the podcast, you know, try and write your book as if you were telling a story to one of your best friends yeah, down yeah, at the yeah. pub. Like, like, just be yourself. And that's what the voice is. And I think some people leave their voice at the door. It's sometimes about finding your voice. You talk about this, this whole quest of finding your voice. Sometimes it's not about developing it. It's about just opening the door and letting it coming into the studio with you, letting it yeah. come to the writing desk because it's there already for most people. You've been telling stories since you were in the playground, friends. Yeah, right? and it's, um, it, like I said, it's one of the most important lessons you can learn as a writer is, is just to let you be you because sometimes I think we look at the authors we admire and I think, oh, I want to be like Terry Pratchett or Douglas, and I'm not. I'm not either of those. I can only be myself. And once you figure that out, I think one of the greatest compliments you can get from readers is when they say, oh, you talk just like you write. And uh, yeah. you know, I, I remember being on a panel with Cueve McDonnell and Sarah Pimbra earlier this year at FantasyCon and you listen to both of them and I can hear their writing in the way they talk, you know, on, on the panel. And it's, and you just think, yeah, I want to, I want to read their books because they're fun. And same with Mike, you know, and listen to Mike and thinking there's a, there's a humor there. There's a warmth there. There's a wisdom there. Yeah. I want all of that. I want yeah, all of that. Definitely it's sold. All, yeah, you know? <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one of the greatest compliments I think we've ever had on the podcast is, and we often get this, and it's it's a lovely thing to read, but when people send us emails, they'll say, you know, I've been listening to you guys for a few weeks or a few years, whatever, and they say things like, I feel like I know you. It feels like you're friends of mine. It's weird because, you know, I've never met you, but and, – and I think this is an example of what we're talking about. We just show up. I mean, there is no pretense about – there's never been any pretense about a best-selling experiment. Like, what you hear or see is what you get with the two of us, isn't it? We're mm-hmm. just – being ourselves but they say that with the uh the, the best djs because john peel apparently john you know john peel the great you know legendary dj uh he would just think that he was talking to one person you know yeah. he imagined a listener and so when you're at the other end there's an there's an intimacy to it that makes a connection and i think yeah. that's 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 how you know something like this works so well because uh yeah we're we're right in your ear listeners that tickling your ears that's some asmr I tell you what, have you tried Mark, have you tried <laughs> have you tried the new i don't i'm not advertising this but have you tried the new airpods it is 
weird when you listen to a podcast with these new airports i don't really like the in-ear ones no, i prefer neither, the ones no. over here because i'm you yeah. know all tinnitus and all the rest of it but mm. the in-ear ones it's there's some weird spatial thing that happens it's like right. it feels like 3d and when you listen to spoken voice on them it it's a different experience to just normal headphones and so for podcasts it's even more intimate it feels like you're literally not just listening to them but like you're in the room with them it's really weird i don't know Spooky. what they've done but yeah so if you're listening to us right now on something fancy Whoa. like that <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's very bizarre <laughs> i would love to talk about libraries because libraries Yay. are like mike one of my favorite things in the world and i think one of the biggest things that we've we've kind of champion if you like on this podcast for the last few years it's like keeping libraries going keeping yep. them healthy supporting them getting in there but mike mike had just a great perspective didn't he about going in libraries and just giving it a go i think his words are giving it a go and having a punt which having is one of my punt. favorite british yes. having a punt um, <laughs> and just trying out a book i mean this is such great advice isn't it mark really and especially you know if you write in one genre if you write romance or fantasy or crime or whether it's so important that you've got to read outside of your genre so important and i i i still do this like just just recently um i read kate atkinson for the first time uh, behind the scenes at the museum uh, which you know a number of people I, I i like kept saying to me you ought to read her you ought to read her and oh, it's fantastic. I talk about an old book as well. You know, it came out around about 95 when I was a bookseller. So I remember seeing piles of it on the desks and thinking, oh, I must get around to that. So here I am nearly 30 years later, finally reading it. And it's, it's terrific. It's absolutely terrific. And there's stuff in there as I'm reading, cause I'm, I'm reading it on my phone. I've, what I've started doing because I, I wake up at about five in the morning every morning yeah. and it's too cold to get up. So I've been reading on books on my phone on Apple books. So, and it's, I've got dark mode on some sort of, it's probably terribly unhealthy. Try not to wake up the missus as well, right? Exactly. Yes. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm lying on my side and I'm reading the book and it's a great way to read because there is no distractions whatsoever. And I'm, I'm reading more in a more focused way than ever. So I, I tore through this book by Kat Atkinson, but because I'm on Apple books, I'm highlighting stuff. I'm making notes. I'm thinking, that's brilliant. How did she do that? Look how she did that. Uh, and, you know, I've taken stuff from that that I'm definitely going to apply to my own writing, you know. And it's uh, reading outside of your genre is such an important thing to do. Such important. And libraries, never a better place to do it because it's not, cost as, as Mike said, it's not costing you anything other than a bit of time. And yeah. time we just spent reading anyway. And even if it's a book you don't like, you're going to learn something from that as well you know yeah i like a library encourages people to come and work there as well so i think with you know post covid a lot of people still working at home i've worked from home for many years i like to go to my local library just with my laptop and and sit there and you know work through and i just love for me it's just being surrounded by millions of brilliant words thousands of amazing authors it's just there's something that and like i think you talked about you know going to the birmingham library or when you go to london the london you know library as well british and, library yeah. british library and just being around it's like when i used to walk through the back streets of cambridge mark you know when you used to live in cambridge in yeah, england yeah. it's like you know that you're following in the footsteps of all these amazing people that have done amazing things in the world and i think the same as a writer when you're surrounded by just i, I mean i love bookshops as well i can spend hours in bookshops but 
being in a library and just being immersed in that space is yeah. a really amazing thing to do. And, and they, they become such an important hub of the communities. Well, I've done a whole bunch of, I did one at Ashford Library, Guildford Library and Hawley Library recently. And what you also discover is they they play such an important role. Like Hawley Library is quite near to Gatwick, so they get lots of immigrants uh, nearby. And like they people come in, they'll have computers and they can print stuff out. There's a photocopier. Yeah. Uh, like if you go to the toilet, they're offering free sanitary products, you know, mm -hmm. because it's you know, crisis cost of living crisis and everything. So it's yeah. it's it does stuff. It's not just about the books; it's about the community and how many Service times have we community. spoken about yeah. how important community is. So it's um yeah I they yeah they're so important. So, so important. two things, two things for everyone listening: if you haven't been to your local library, go this week, pop in, just have a look around, just be mm. around, go and support libraries. And if you've got kids, make it a weekly trip to the library because I used to, that was my favorite thing. Their kids are all grown Me up, too. you know, they're, they're all online reading anime fi fan fiction you know but i used to love taking my kids to the library when they were four five six and we'd sit in the kind of we'd sit in the um in the children's section in fact i did take my daughter the other day um and the most beautiful thing happened mark it was so amazing i was i was looking at i can't remember where i was i was somewhere lost in the library <laughs> my daughter came running up to me she said look look over there and i, I looked up and there was a queue of people that's a line for folks outside the UK, a line of people <laughs> lining up at the machine to, to take their books out. And yeah. there was a mum and her little daughter and tucked under the daughter's arm was uh, Jen or my daughter's no. mum's book. And she was queuing up the last, very last month's book, waiting to take it out. And so we saw this tiny little like four-year-old with this book almost the same size as her. And the joy that that gave my daughter, I mean, me as yeah, well. I mean, it was yeah, But for her to see that, because she hadn't, you know, I've been out there selling the book and doing all the, the tours and the bookshops and everything. But for my daughter, who's now five years older than she was when we released it, seeing that for her, it just, it just inspired her. And weirdly enough, weirdly enough, just in the last... I mean, she always liked to write, but I'd say just in the last three months since she saw that, she's writing a lot. Hey. And she's talking about wanting to write more. And I said, oh, we've got, do you know I've got a podcast sweetheart, that I've been doing for seven years? And she's like, yeah, yeah, no, you always bang on about that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you might want to listen to it. It's like, not interested, obviously, because family and all that. But at some point, you know, it, you know, but it's, but it's moment like, so events like that can happen in the library. We've had people with their wins on the academy saying massive milestone i i saw my book in the library for the first time you know and it's a yeah. local author getting their local book in the library you know it might not even be on amazon so support your library folks that's the first thing the second thing challenge for mr d if you whatever whatever genre you believe you're you're in like as in you know what's the most typical thing you'd like to write what's the absolute opposite of that genre so let's take yes. two let's say you write horror Mm. your challenge is to go into the library and pick the absolute furthest opposite romance. of that genre. Yeah. Pick a book out. Yeah. I think romance is a great romance, example. Yeah. So romance authors go pick up a horror novel, horror novelists go pick up a romance book and then just, just try it out. You know, it's the episode of friends, Jerry reads little women and uh, Jennifer Aniston reads uh, the shining. <laughs> yeah it's it's a yeah and it's, it's brilliant it's a classic episode yeah yeah and oh, it works there we go totally works so, yeah so there's a challenge for everyone we want you to report back to us 
Uh, if you and then also we want the funny stories as well. Like if you if you you know you're into romance and you read a horror story and it absolutely like you have to put. We want to hear about that as well because that's that's really good material for the podcast, folks. So so <laughs> drop us a note. Go to the contact form on thebestsellerexperiment.com and tell us your experience or even what you're about to try. We'd love to. We'll give you a name, a shout out as well. Now. <laughs> I had to laugh when I heard the word bliss come up. Bliss. How do you describe, Mark, for all of our non-70s, 80s, 1980s listeners not from the UK, how do you describe the era that was Bliss Magazine, Smash bliss, Hits? Just 17 and Smash Jackie. Hits. Well, Smash Hits was uh, for just pop fans, whatever your gender. Uh, but like a, teen, bliss, a teenage mag, though, teen right? Mag, for young, yeah, younger yeah. kids, yeah, yeah. I mean, just just 17 was read by 14-year-olds, obviously. <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, and what was great was girls at school would read it. And if you were lucky, as a boy, you'd get to peek inside the mind of a girl. And it was like, wow. Uh, and it was, yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was such an important part of growing up in the 80s and 90s, reading these mags, because they spoke about, subjects with an honesty that perhaps you might not be able to talk to your parents about or teachers about they were like uh, what it's kind of the podcast thing they were like a friend they were someone you could mm -hmm. trust and uh and take their advice seriously uh so yeah they were they were they were brilliant they were brilliant they like. always had do you remember mark they always used to have a centerfold like Simon Le Bon from Duran Duran yes. or Morton Harkett, whatever his name was from. from Aha. Aha. Yeah. Aha. Yeah, yeah. And, Aha. And, and it would be like, you'd, you'd, you'd have to get the staples. Do you remember? You'd get the staples and you'd open the staples up and then you'd, you'd remove it and then you'd put it on your wall. Not, not that I did that with obviously posters of like male well, um, 80s well, icons I mean. from my, my sister's <laughs> magazines. I, I would have posters from the concerts I went to, the massive ones. You remember those ones that you could buy at the people, the dodgy ones that were sold on the edge of the streets as you came into Wembley yes, Stadium? Yes, or Wembley I Arena. would go to I would go to Carnaby Street because there were lots of um, yeah. poster places there. I had a massive, you know, Pink Floyd's Animals with uh, Battersea Power Station on it. I had one that yeah. took up an entire wall. So it yeah. was like I was floating above Battersea Power Station. I mean, most of mine were even movie posters or, or, or Pink Floyd posters. Um, but yeah. yeah, anyway, how did we get onto that? Just 17. Uh, well, yes, it, just 17, yeah. <laughs> but but the, the, the is it was an era. Now, he was an agony uncle as well. I mean, mm. what an incredible start to his writing career. He talks about, you know, his friends wanting to write for The Guardian and The Times. And he went to like bliss, which is just, I mean, I think such a great grounding to, to, yeah, to learn well, I mean, about writing. As he, as he said, the most important thing he did, he was writing for teenagers and he said, you have to engage with them in the first paragraph. There's no nonsense, always be entertaining. And that is such an important lesson to learn as a writer. Yeah. You can't waffle about, you can't be self-indulgent. You've got to go straight to what they need and give it to them in spades. Now, this will make you laugh, Mark. He mentioned Salford University, and he was part of the, before he went to Bliss and started his big career in, uh, in, in teen magazines, he wrote for the university magazine. And he said that he interviewed music bands. And I used to work as the music editor at Swansea University. All right. And I used to get sent all of these um, CDs each week. They used to arrive in a place. And my flatmates at, that, at the student house were like, where are you getting all this free music? I'm like, oh, I'm on the mailing list of EMI and University. <laughs> it was great. Brilliant. But the weirdest thing happened once. So I, we got so many CDs and then, then 
you know, some of the uh, PR, as we found with the podcast as well, some of the PR of the the record labels would start reaching out and saying, oh, do you want to interview this band? There's this new band coming up, this unknown band, da, 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 da. they're playing in some, you know, Aberyst with University or something to 10 people. And so I, I had to build a team of journalists, like students who wanted to be music um, reviewers and interviewers. And like every Monday more, every Monday afternoon, four o'clock, we, I'd walk in with this pile of CDs, all the stuff I didn't want. And then I'd say, <laughs> right, got, got this one. Who wants it? This is like, oh, and it would just be random stuff, like some, some stuff that never even made it past that one single. But there was this one band that I got, I got this single from. Never heard of them. And I said, right, who wants this? Uh creep radiohead and there was <laughs> i'm not kidding you there was some guy there was some guy in the group of 10 students who just went he did the kind of like me 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 you know, hand up hand up in the classroom and he and no one else were like oh yeah you can have it don't know who that is but he had got into radiohead on the like they just started to get a little bit of press in like nme and some melody maker and so and so he said he said oh yeah 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 I said, but there's, I said, there's a bit of a caveat to this one. He said, what do you mean? I said, they're playing Aberystwyth University. Now, Aberystwyth, I mean, to everyone in Wales, love your country, spent four years of the best years of my life there. But Aberystwyth is like in the middle of nowhere. It's like I went went there a few, yeah, I went because I went to, when I looked after Otikas, I went to meet the Aberystwyth, uh, the Welsh book buying team up in Abba. Yeah. And it's, it is a long it's journey. It's a long from anywhere, journey it? through, the, through the valleys and sheep. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I said to him, the caveat is if you're going to review this single, I also need you to go to Aberystwyth because they're playing a gig <laughs> like, like in the middle of winter. Like I said, so you're going to have to, you have to go. And you went done, done, absolutely done. I said, yeah, there's one other thing I said, I'm really sorry to ask you of this. I said, but you've also got to interview the band. And he went, what? and I'm like, yeah, I said, and he was so excited. And I was like, wow, that was easy. Anyway, lo and behold, he goes off. He, he goes and spends the whole night hanging out with the Radiohead, Brilliant. this cool band that no one's ever heard of. He writes this like one page. He does a massive kind of thing on it. And that has become the one article that became legendary in the student newspaper because, you know, obviously years later for any, any Radiohead fans out there, you know, he, 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 that's his story. He tells that story every every time he meets anyone Brilliant. that likes anything to do with music so student uni magazines i mean it's where there's so much stuff happens there it's craziness craziness anyway <laughs> folks um we'd like you to join us in the extended edition of the podcast today because mark and i are going to be talking about pantsing to plotting and how mike completely changed the way that he wrote um and talking about beginning middle and ends of not just books but chapters as well we're also going to delve into nonfiction and, and Mike's adventures with his to-do list book. And also how that encourages people as well to really, you know, push those boundaries and discover what they're capable of doing. And then we're also going to do a little piece on health tips for writers, especially today, how to keep warm in those cold months. <laughs> so folks, if you'd like to join us in the extended, please pop along and support this podcast. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support pop your email address in, sign up to a tier, and you will get access to all of the goodies. So, Mark, what are the wins on social media and the Academy this week? Got some good stuff. Uh, Tracy Montague, uh, she says in the BXP group, she says, as they say in lofty literary circles, I'm well chuffed to have my story, Birdie, shortlisted for the Aesthetica's Short Fiction Prize 2024. Looking forward to seeing it and the other shortlisty stories and poems in print. Uh, this is brilliant. Tracy, I've I've uh, read one of her novels. 
absolutely cracker-lacking. I know she's getting great attention. Uh, watch this space. Tracy's going to be huge one day, so this is great. So this is just an, you know, another little milestone, Tracy. So congrats on that. Brilliant stuff. Well done, Tracy. Brilliant. Uh, Zoe Richards, who is rapidly turning into a total superstar on the Academy. Uh, she's got a book coming next summer, uh, and she says, very excited that Waterstones Liverpool has just confirmed they can do a launch event for my novel on publication day. Tickets will be on sale next year. Get your diaries out, 6.30pm, Thursday, 20th of June, 2024, Waterstones Liverpool. Put that in your diary, folks. So uh, congrats on that, Zoe. It's brilliant. We had a, a really fun uh, craft coaching session on Monday, uh, and... Um, you could tell Zoe's got a book coming out. We were talking about publication, launch day publicity, and I've got a very, very good feeling about Zoe's book. That that the effort that her publisher is putting into the marketing publicity, I think it's going to be a winner. I think it's going yeah, to be an absolute yeah. winner. I must say, I um, don't think I've ever seen a six month in advance. You know, heads up, this is coming out in the summer. It was almost like going to the sign. cinema when they show yeah. the, you know, the, the summer movies coming the out and it's still the year yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is great because that's what it's you should be sign. doing. Like, nice long run up. Brilliant. Very good indeed. Now, we're recording this on the 6th of December. So, slight spot. So, we're just hearing from people who did Nano and did well. So, Rebecca Powell says, I did it. One 50,000-word, very rough draft of a brand-new novel completed in November. I've now put it away for a while so I can resume interaction with the real world. Well, the real world, Rebecca, is massively overrated. Get back to that book as soon as possible, but congrats on that. Brilliant stuff. And also on the Academy, uh, we've got Sylvia Neiderberger. says, I've won NaNoWriMo. That's the first win because I'm working on a current working progress. I've been doing a rebel NaNoWriMo where I had a main quest and some side quests. For the side quests, I've written several smaller pieces and I've submitted three pieces in English, one in Norwegian, and I'm currently polishing one piece in German, so I can submit it by the end of the month. Lots of small wins. It's fantastic. It's Brilliant. amazing. Congrats, Sylvia and Rebecca. I accidentally did NaNoWriMo in October. Without even knowing it. I Without love even it. knowing it. Well, I've, I've been working on four projects, uh, and I yeah, I ended up writing about 55,000 words in November completely by accident. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's I don't, that's in the sp- I don't know if that's in the spirit of the thing, to be well, honest. Well, each, each month when we do the life coaching on the Academy, the first thing I do is we do a celebration of, of all the people's wins in the Academy, but then we do a, an update on the word count. And literally, Mark, every month there's there are people that are knocking out 50,000 words plus, and I'm just like absolutely blown away. I mean, I mean you know, that's unusual, that's, that's exceptional, but like consistently. So, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant stuff. One more one more very unusual win, and I love this. This is Phil Oddy in the BXP team. Uh, Phil says, I might have taken the whole visualization and dream declaration thing too far, but I got myself a T-shirt made. Now, most of these books don't exist yet. Half don't even have a first draft yet, but one day they will all be out there for people to read. In the meantime, I'll be wearing this to write in as a reminder of the goals I've set myself. So he's, he's put this on the BXP team. It's a lovely close-up. So uh, they're all by Phil Oddie, The Man in the Moon, Entrapment, Words from My Head. That's a good title. Echoes, I know he's been working on that because of the 200-word challenge. Uh, Enlightenment, Entanglement, and Exodus. Nice little stack of books. Brilliant. Phil, keep at it, it, man. Keep at it. Write his T-shirts. Really, really cool. And a (laughs) T-shirt to write in as well. So, yeah, Yeah. one of those many layers you can wear in the winter when you're writing. (laughs) Totally. 
<laughs> brilliant. Phil's awesome. I can't wait to see what, what he what he achieves with his career. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Well, folks, it's great. If you've got any more wins, then do send them in. You know how to do it. You go to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com, and you click on the contact form and pop in your wins there. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to the Bestseller Experiment newsletter, which I highly recommend you doing to get updates of uh, current and future um, episodes we've got on the way. And Mark, there are also many ways people can connect on social media as well. Yes. Uh, Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. Twitter, Instagram, and threads, we're at Bestseller XP. And if you've been inspired by Mike or any of the other many hundreds of authors we've had on the podcast, uh, give us a rating or a review and subscribe. And thanks as always to our editors, Dave and JD. Absolutely. And to our support team, Lisa and Harmon as well, that behind the scenes, we don't usually talk about them as well, but they are very much a part of making this happen. So thank you to them. And folks, if you'd like to join the 200 word challenge, pop along 200wordchallenge.com. It's a free seven day challenge. Can you write seven consecutive days? It's harder than you think. But if you do crack the challenge, you might just get the writing habit of a lifetime and hear about your book and maybe be interviewed one day on this podcast as well so do check that out and then finally folks we're coming up to a new year in the academy 2024 is going to be an amazing year for many many authors and if you want to be one of those authors if you are ready to take the challenge of really becoming and believing that you can make this happen then come and join us in the academy on the fiction or the non-fiction program uh, you do need to get your applications in very soon i would recommend getting them in before the end of the year Anyway, Mr. Stay, uh, for almost the last time, the two marks together. Almost. Um, have a fantastic run up to Christmas. And we will be back, folks, next week, Christmas Day, for the final episode of the two marks together. And it's going to be a cracker. In your stocking. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get me cancelled. Only the horror. Only the horror scriptwriter. I love it. Oh, brilliant stuff. Well, listen, folks, it's, it's, uh, it's a very, very goodbye from Mark 1. And goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye! Goodbye!